Welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, a podcast celebrating the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. We invite you to learn more at the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia's website, wicd.org. And there you'll find out the latest information about a film we're producing called Decoders, a cutting-edge documentary that objectively and fearlessly explores fundamental questions about how we learn. To support the making of this film, find out more at WICD.org. This episode is part of a special series saluting young people who have not let dyslexia stop them. In fact, it's likely that learning to deal with dyslexia has allowed them to harness other talents. We like to refer to them as having superpowers. No capes, no masks, no golden whips involved here. Just hardworking young people stepping up to a challenge and meeting it head on. Today, I'm thrilled to be talking with one such young person, Charlie Worley along with his mom, Mary. Now, Mary told me in advance of the podcast that in spite of the fact that Charlie is severely dyslexic, he has almost entirely forgotten about the tears in elementary school and about being constantly pulled out of the classroom. She thanks the Carroll School for that. As Mary told me, it's very important to get out in front of dyslexia at an early age. Only when you hide something is it shameful. And that, of course, is what she loves about Charlie, knowing that it will enable him to accomplish great things in his life. So let us today talk and meet with one such young person, Charlie Worley, and his very sweet mom, Mary. Together they will share their story and remind us that perseverance indeed pays off. Mary, I'll start with you. Uh, Describe the family situation. You've got Charlie. Who else? Yes, Charlie is my youngest, and I also have a daughter, Madeline, who's a freshman in college, and of course my husband, Ted. Any dogs, cats, anything we should know Uh, about? Of course. The dogs the love of my life, Chloe, and a little cat, Princey. (laughs) Very important inclusion. We've got to get everybody involved in this. And Charlie, uh, tell everybody uh, how old you are and in what grade you're currently I'm at. I'm 15 years old, a sophomore. Kind of young for my grade to go to Walpole High School. You've got the stuff to keep up. That's the important <laughs> yeah. thing. So let's talk about the, the story of dyslexia and how it's affected you and your life and how you're overcoming it and doing quite well despite it. And I think that's a big issue. People say, oh, he's got dyslexia or he's got this, he's got that. That's how other people label people. Let's begin with your story, though. When did you have any inkling that reading was a bit of a challenge more than, say, for other kids? Um, well, elementary school, I didn't really know the difference. I didn't really, uh, I don't think I noticed other people were reading a lot easier and stuff, but like later, closer to fourth, fifth grade, I'd be getting pulled out of class and uh, like just getting extra help. So that probably then when I start realizing. I don't know what it feels like to look at letters and not see them as they are, because I do not have dyslexia. But do you recall early on when you were a little guy, would you look at a letter or a word and it looked backwards or mixed up? Or How did that appear? Do you remember? I don't think that's a real thing. (laughs) Okay. I went to school with a bunch of dyslexics, and I don't think any of them ever... uh... Realize that like B's and D's flop. I think that's kind of a misconception. That's the conception I think a lot of people outside of the dyslexic world have right. that you're reading everything backwards. Yeah. Okay. So, Mary, when did you have a sense? I mean, you're the mom, so you're overseeing Charlie right. very carefully. At a very early age, um, actually in preschool, believe it or not. He had an amazing preschool teacher who um, looked at how engaged he was in the classroom, how bright he was, how articulate he was for a four year old. And he would sit still more than all the others, you know, if that makes sense, to really wanted to improve and learn. And at the end of the day, he still couldn't do anything. And actually, he did reverse his B's and D's. <laughs> and he had... You're, you're actually going to 
challenge what he said. I am. Uh, I, I think am. I think people reverse it, read it differently, but when they're reading, I don't think like people say it's like bouncing over the page or like flop. Like I don't I don't think that's real. Thing. Okay, this is great that we're, we're flushing this out because <laughs> right. really interesting. We've heard from different people on this podcast about how it affects them and mm-hmm. what it what it actually looks like and feels like. But let's go back to that teacher who was very instrumental in in she making a difference. She was amazing, and she just you know she would show me things at the end of the day, and he had worked so hard, and he just wasn't making progress, even though you could tell he was so bright. That was part of it, and he was mature, too, mature and bright, and he couldn't get it. And so um, she suggested that even before he got to uh, kindergarten that we get him tested professionally. Okay. And that made all the world a difference so that when we got to kindergarten, we could hit the ground running. And, Charlie, I mean, you're now, as you say, a sophomore, and you're moving great guns forward through school and doing really well. But do you remember feeling frustrated as a young person? Did it bother you? Did you break a pencil when you just couldn't get it because you wanted to get it so uh, so intently? Um, sure, it did uh, frustrate me at the time, but uh, I don't really remember it. Uh, it seems like a long time ago. Yeah. Because you've made some great progress. One of the things that we try to focus on is how other people relate to dyslexics. Mm-hmm. So uh, in school, kids can always pick on you for whatever reason. You know, your mm-hmm. shirt tail is too long or your hair is messy or you're, you know, you've got a, a zit right here or something. That's normal. <laughs> but do you recall your classmates, any of them giving you a hard time? No, uh, no. I mean, some of my friends would mess with me a little bit, like, oh, like B's and D's jokes, but... Uh, <laughs> nothing really but not the kind of stuff where they said oh you're stupid no, nothing, nothing vicious nothing vicious very no. good and mary do you notice pretty quick change for the better now that we knew what was happening here um i wouldn't say for the better um i had to be a strong advocate and you know uh make sure you were on top of the school system to make sure you were getting what was needed a lot of testing and again it's great that charlie you know, had such a great attitude towards it, but there was frustration on his part. So when he'd get the report card and it said he didn't try hard enough, and he'd ask me, Mom, how much harder can I try? So um, that, you know, that was a difference. And, um, you know, he was pulled out of the classroom almost all the time, you know, particularly as you got, you know, in kindergarten, first, second grade, you're still learning and there'd be a aid in the classroom. There was a part in uh, fifth grade where every day for like the end of the year, I had a tutor at the end of the day. Certainly makes sense to have extra help, but it also could be uncomfortable in a social setting when you're just a kid in early grades to get pulled out. Do you do you recall feeling uncomfortable? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of awkward to just get awkward. pulled out every day. Yeah, yeah. When like the rest of the class is doing their own thing. Right. Like one time I had a sub and I just left because that's what I did every day. She had a problem with it. <laughs> she, she didn't really know. Oh, so you got up and left because that's what you did. Yeah. So <laughs> she, what are you doing? Right? Yeah. Oh, my she goodness. She said I was leaving or something. Well, one of the things that comes up, I guess, Mary and Charlie, is question of discipline and the question of behavior. And dyslexics, not all, but some have been accused of ill behavior when they're just trying to get to the bottom of something. Mm-hmm. Important to have people, I guess, teachers who understand. You mentioned that preschool teacher, but in your early years, was there a sense of understanding that you needed that extra help and it was okay? Right from the teachers? Yeah. I think there's some of them that understood it. They didn't know what to do. But they, like, they saw that there was something different, I guess. And Mary, as you know, as part of the 
WICD organization now, and we've welcomed you warmly. You're such an asset uh, that this is 2018, and uh, Gertrude Webb did her work in the 50s and 60s, the 1950s and 60s. So even though we've come a long way, there's still a lot of people in, in professional circles and teaching circles who still don't know enough about dyslexia. Well, one thing, um, even going back a little bit with Charlie, we knew so early on, I think that helped him because we were able to tell the teachers from the very beginning. So he never knew any different than being pulled out of the classroom, if that makes sense. So we could educate the teachers from the very beginning. So I don't think he had as many of the um, situations that maybe other kids had where they were falling behind and no one understood why. We always understood why. Charlie, I know your mom's sitting right next to you. It's a little embarrassing to probably ask you this, but I will anyway. You know how lucky you are to have somebody like her in your corner without a parent or a guardian who's actively taking an interest and lobbying for you. It can be Mm -hmm. tough. I remember when we had his um, first neuropsych, and they gave us the diagnosis, and I thought actually it was just the B's and D's, and it would be hard to read. Like I thought that's all it was. And I remember the psychologist saying, well, you're going to be an advocate now for the next 18 years. And I thought, why? (laughs) I thought, you know, once he learns to read, we'll be good. And I didn't really understand that whole journey. Well, can we explore that a little further? Uh, You mentioned the testing and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, How did that play out beyond the P's and D's uh, in terms of what we had in store here, Charlie? Did you have a sense of what was ahead when you got that test? Um, He was four. Then you were very... (laughs) No clue. Much a a little kid playing with your truck. So let's talk Mm -hmm. to mom for a second. What did they tell you? What would be ahead in terms of what he'd have to work on? Well, again, you know, just the, you know, just he would be have trouble with testing um, forever, that there'd be lots of challenges, not just related to learning or not just related to reading. Right. Right. Okay. um, With possibly with memory and executive function processing those sorts of things, which were all terms that I had no idea. So Mm -hmm. it was sort of a blur for me. Mm -hmm. Because you're looking at this lively, upbeat, organized, cool kid that you have, handsome as all get out, folks. (laughs) Let me just tell you that. And you're saying, what? What do you mean by all this? That must be... It was scary. Scary for Mm -hmm. a parent. Has to be. Absolutely. And Charlie, uh, we're going to go sort of chronologically through your your school years up to the current day. You go to a public school through the sixth grade or the fifth grade? Uh, up to fifth grade. Fifth grade. And mm-hmm. then you go to a school called the Carroll School. Correct. Okay. And we've interviewed the principal and other people from there. Was it a, a starkly different kind of experience going to a school like that? Uh, well, at first I was obviously uh, pretty nervous going to – it was far away. It was about an hour away from my house. I didn't know anyone there. Uh, it, it was just like completely foreign to me going to a school where there'd be like eight kids in each classroom or so, going from like 30. So that was a big difference. But like, as years went on, I'm glad I went. Mary, let's describe what that's like. Yeah, you drove him an hour to well, that, get to school. Well, it was only an hour for him. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it was true. an hour and 45 minutes for me. Okay. <laughs> no. we, we all appreciate, though, yeah, the parental sacrifice. But that's quite a sea change from just going to school, right. going to the bus stop or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, were you as nervous for him as he was for himself? I knew everything was going to be great. I was just nervous for him because I, when you see your child, you know, just embracing something so new and different and very scary. But I knew eventually once he jumped in, he'd be fine. When you got there, I mean, you met people who had similar issues that you've been dealing with and they're in the same boat. They want to learn and they're going to learn. Was that almost immediately helpful to know you were among your peers at that point? Uh, Yeah, mostly that like, I wouldn't be getting pulled out of class anymore or 
anything like different. I would like I wouldn't have really any accommodations. Everyone else is doing the same thing. Exactly. You're there to learn in a in a new way. Mm-hmm. And do you recall, without getting into too many specifics, what was so different about those learning methods? I mean, was it the fact that it was a small group? Was their attention paid to particular issues that really had not been paid to before? What, what was it about the Carol experience? Uh, the small classes, for sure. And also, I think there's a lot more hands-on and more, like, discussion rather than just, like, taking notes and getting lectured on stuff. It's the the learning curve is a little different because yeah. you're not just doing it rote. You're actually learning by talking things through. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And Mary, how involved were you with the Carol people? Because uh, parents, they tell me, are very much a part of the process. They they should um, be. I was a process involved getting him there. Yeah. But what I found to be the stark difference <coughs> is once he was there, I then took a backseat. Ah. In public school, I was, you know, on him every night. What is your homework? What are you doing? You know, I was talking to the teachers. Is he being pulled out? This, that. And for me, when he went to the Carroll School, all of a sudden, I no longer had to worry. So that's for you and the family, because mm-hmm. you mentioned your other daughter and your yeah, husband. Yeah, she now and... all of a sudden got more attention in the evening. <laughs> wow. There, there's a big change. That right. had to take a lot of stress off of the right. family unit. Exactly. And right. that's, they just empowered him to do what he, I knew that. He was now taking charge. All of his homework was at his level, and he could do it by himself. He knew what he had to do. Right. And I was no longer micromanaging his education. And, Charlie, by sixth or seventh grade, people start to find subjects that they like. I remember in my Mm -hmm. junior years I I did. Do you recall what sort of fascinated you and interested you when you first got to the Carroll School in the sixth and seventh grade? Uh, Well, for me, I found that whatever teacher you like the most and, like, whatever teacher you have the best time with is usually your favorite class that year. But generally, I've like found interest in math and science. Math and science. Mm-hmm. Wow, terrific! And you said something so key. It's the it's the individual instructor, mm-hmm. and whether they have that sense of purpose and caring and ability to convey the information. That is, mentors in life, as you will find, are the key. Totally and if you appreciate them as you go along, and uh, you're the you're a very lucky soul. Now, following the Carroll School, you went sixth, seventh, and eighth. Yeah, through middle school. So Carroll School was 6th, 7th, and 8th. Okay. And then back to Walpole for high school. Okay, so now back to Walpole for high school. How has that transition been? Do you feel you're you're in a good place now thanks to the Carroll? Mm-hmm. I think it helped me a lot. Also, like having eight students in a class gets a little old after three years. You kind of start <laughs> to want to have like, some independence back. Exactly. Uh, so it's nice to have like a normal-sized class again. You mentioned math and science and you're talking to a guy who needs the adding machine to figure out everything. I'm always impressed and awed by people who are math proficient. But is it still math and science for you? Do you still love that? Yeah, I don't really think I'm that great at either of them yet, but uh, I just think it's most interesting. And what about writing as well as reading? Do you get a chance, and did you get a chance to write more at the Carroll School, and have you followed up with any writing in, in say, high school? Um longer uh writing assignments in high school but i think i had more at carroll uh we had our own laptops there i think that could have uh played a factor in that but almost every day we'd have to write something right like at least a paragraph long mary the technology speaks for itself it's mm-hmm. getting better every day in all kinds of areas but is there a particular element of technology that you've seen help charlie in these last few years i don't know if i see that because he's grown up with technology Right. You know, I think about somebody, you know, 
If I had his struggles when I was his age, I would have been lost. Now at least he does have everything he writes is on a computer, which always has spell check. Right. <laughs> which right. you can re-edit so much easier than, you know, scratching out erasing how we grew up. So I don't know that I see technology changing for him because he's always had it. It's all, That accommodation has been there forever. Do you, by any chance, uh, listen to audiobooks as well? Um, in class, I we just read out loud. But um, okay. in summer when you have to read a book, I do. I listen to the audible version. Why not? I mean, right. the world yeah. is listening to audible.com. Mm -hmm. I know, listen to them. <laughs> exactly. It, it's become absolutely accepted around right. around the planet as a way to read, as mm -hmm. they say. So you're now a sophomore in high school. You've got your junior and senior year ahead of you. And then, of course, the big decisions that will be made. You're probably thinking a little bit about that. Yeah. Give us a little inkling as to where your mind is right now. Definitely want to go to college. Don't really know where. Curry College seems cool. Other than that, I haven't given it too much thought. We should mention Curry College, where Gertrude Webb formed the PAL program, which mm -hmm. is a tremendous program. I went to Curry. It's a tremendous mm -hmm. program, mm -hmm. absolutely tremendous. And more colleges around the country are offering uh, services for people with any kind of dyslexia or special needs yeah. in that mm -hmm. regard. So, Mary, how have you seen this young man? He's so confident and handsome. And I, I had no idea, by the way, before meeting Charlie, what he looked like or what he, <laughs> how he would present himself. I am very impressed. How would you say this road that you've traveled has gone? I mean, it's been bumpy at the beginning, but where are we right now? Where are we now? Um, well, I agree with you. He's a great kid. Imagine that his mother thinks that. Oh, how would we ever um, hear that? But I'm just amazed. He has a great attitude, always has since day number one. He's always had an upbeat, sunny personality, and he just perseveres through everything. And when difficulties come his way, he deals with them and then forgets them and goes on to the next thing. You know, you could write a book based on that philosophy and probably be a million seller because people everywhere are looking for the secret. It's been born into you or you just sort of have it. Your philosophy on life, much like the way your mom described it? Uh, yeah, I think just try to solve a problem and then you like whether you do or don't solve it, I think you just need to move on. Unless That's it's good. something that you want to keep on running with. That's a great attitude. The other day his sister was home from college and he was, you know, just lackadaisical or um, unfazed by certain events and days and and she just looks and she goes, oh, to live a day in the life of Charlie Worley. <laughs> and, and he goes, yeah, it's pretty great. As a father of a daughter and a son, both of whom are adults, I can tell you that uh, oftentimes the males of the species think, what am I worrying about that for? That's yeah. really, females get a little more touchy about certain <laughs> yeah. things. Mm -hmm. But you sound like you're really in a good place right now. I didn't ask you this, mm -hmm. about outside of school, what are Charlie's main activities and fun things to do? Uh, I play a lot of hockey. That's uh big part of my life. Uh, I play that mostly year-round. I play lacrosse, too. I just picked that up, though. I don't really take it seriously. I just think it's pretty fun. So sports is a big part of your life, obviously. Yeah. Very big. And teamwork and playing with other people and uh, and scoring and winning, and that's terrific. Yeah, I like watching sports, too. Obviously. Excellent, excellent. Hanging out with friends. Well, Charlie, I am so impressed in meeting you, and all we wanted to do with today's conversation was present you and your mom as another example of people who have uh, done done well. I'm going to say despite the, quote, diagnosis. It just means uh, there are ways around it, and you've mm -hmm. proven it both. And Mary, uh, before we let you go, you're becoming sort of a, a spokesperson and a champion for the Web Center. What would you like to see happen in the area of dyslexia and discussion? I mean, seriously, I'd like to Honestly, I guess the number one um, thing that I see is just better ways of um, teaching 
children with dyslexia or adults, you know, just so that it's integrated into a classroom. And I guess that all, like the center, it, it starts with an attitude and an understanding. And right. once you have an understanding of who these individuals are, how smart they are, but just the fact that they learn differently. And if you teach them differently and in the mode that they're used to, then the sky's the limit. So that's, to me, it starts with that perception and understanding, and then education blossoms Well, that's the goal of, of what we're trying to accomplish. And by the way, the old expression, patience is a virtue. It's the impatient who want to just throw everybody out of the, the right. room who just don't seem to get it. They don't mm -hmm. realize they're throwing away in some cases, genius, and it's a wonderful example mm -hmm. right here, Charlie, of you, Thank you sticking with it and becoming a superstar. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank for, you. Uh, Thanks for having us. For doing this, and I, I want to wish you the best, and wherever you go to college, I'm sure there's a hockey team, so yeah. go get them. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Feel free to contact us here at our website, wicd.org, and there you'll learn more about how you can support the documentary film Decoders, which is currently in production. We welcome guest or topic suggestions for this podcast. Dyslexics Wanted is available on all major platforms, including Apple, and is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. I'm Jordan Rich, wishing you a great day.